You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Um, yeah, this is my first time preaching here, guys, and I thank our church and our elders for giving me, giving me this privilege of speaking the word of God to you all. And uh, I know both the responsibility and the accountability in preaching the word of God. It's a great privilege, though, to preach the word of God um, in front of you all. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul, who I think is the greatest example of radical and revolutionary Faith, kind of faith and salvation, says this. Brothers and sisters, I'm coming to you not with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Just a heads up and a caveat, I am not preaching to defend any position regarding the second coming of Christ, our Lord, but I will remain biblical and stay faithful to what the Gospel of Matthew is trying to say about this event. Before we read our text from Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, let us pray one more time. Our Father and our God, we exalt, glorify, and honor Thee as our God, creator, and judge. We come to You in Your presence today wanting to know more about You, for us to grow deeper in our relationship with You and our love for You. Your divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, we make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness, with godliness, with brotherly affection, and with love. Lord, help this preacher now to speak your word and to go forth and help people to understand. It's by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I wear my, my sweater because I feel cold. <laughs> I guess it's winter. So, if you're expecting a joke for me to say, I'm not really a joker, I'm not really someone who says a joke whenever I preach. I'm typically a serious guy in preaching. Um, but, nevertheless, that's the joke. Um, <laughs> this is a joke. So, before we go to our passage, um, and I will be reading from the English version, English Standard Version, ESV. Um, yeah, as Pastor Trevor said, I will be planning going back to the Philippines by February 2nd and see for myself what's in store for me back there. And I invoke your prayers um, regarding that endeavor, that God will show me ministries, will open up for me ministries there that I can uh, be part of in help strengthen the church there in the Philippines. My heart is really burdened in a good sense uh, for the people of the Philippines and the churches there, and I, I really want to help. Uh, that's, my, that's my desire. So help me pray. Um, as I have said, I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Again, our, our passage is Matthew chapters, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey 
who called his servants and, and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what, my, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God bless the reading of his word. Just a quick historical background of the Gospel of Matthew. It was written primarily to a Jewish audience. MacArthur said this, Matthew's purpose is to demonstrate that Christ is the King and Messiah of Israel. Another proof of this intent of Matthew is the fact that it quotes more than 60 times from the Old Testament prophetic passages, emphasizing that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all these promises. Another significant thing to consider as we study our text is Matthew's style of writing. In this version of the Gospel of Matthew, he had five major discourses. I know most of you are familiar with these things. The famous Sermon of the Mount is the first discourse from chapters 5 to 7. The commissioning of the apostles in chapter 10 the parables about the kingdom in chapter 13, a discourse about the childlikeness of the believer in chapter 18, and the Olivet Discourse, or Jesus' talk about his second coming, chapters 24 and 25. This is where we find our text. Matthew 24 and 3 can be said as the prelude or summary introduction of the discourse. As he sat, it says, as he sat on Mount Olives, Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? I know most of us, as we start a new year, like, like me for example, I, I, I really want to go back again to Revelation and then read it again. Because I don't know, I don't know what's in the end of the year that most of us will go to Revelation and read it again. Perhaps it's because we want to know what will happen in the future or uh, because, because we are interested in, in these things and uh, we want to know more uh, about these things. So as he sat on, on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came um, and asked this question. Moreover, chapters 24 and 25 records the Lord's heart of compassion and love mingled with unwavering holiness. holiness. This section of Scripture, including the parable of the talents, constitute final warnings, 
prophecies and encouragements. I think those are the reasons why we want to read more about end times or eschatology and theology. Um, so this constitutes final warnings, prophecies, and encouragement to his people, Israel, before his departure. He who is their Lord is leaving for an undisclosed period of time. So, context. The key in every study that we do is context. Context is the key, as we say. The parable of the talents is then about the Lord's second coming. Matthew 24:27 states, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Lastly, I want you to notice that from verses 1 to 13, Jesus told the parable of the ten virgins. The middle portion of the chapter is our passage, the parable of the talents from verses 14 to 30. From verses 31 to 46, Jesus told the story of the sheep and the goats, how he will separate them. The first two parables, the first two parables tells us that we need to be always ready and prepared for the coming of Christ, the second advent. The third parable is a quasi-parable that tells us about how God will separate the true believers from the non-believers or the false believers. Or from our story or from the parable, the true servants or the faithful servant from the lazy and slothful servants. The true servants from our passage were the first two servants representing the sheep. The third servant, the lazy and wicked servant, represents the goat. We already know that a parable is a simple story that is used to illustrate or teach some truth, spiritual principle, or moral lesson. It literally means throwing alongside. That's the literal meaning of parable, throwing alongside. Craig Bloomberg said this, this parable elaborates what we are to be doing during the interval of Christ's advent, forever, however long or short. We must use all our resources with which he has entrusted us for kingdom purposes. All persons will be called to account for their behavior, and those who have done nothing for the Lord demonstrate that they are no kind of disciple at all, and hence are eternally condemned. Just like the Jews back in the first century, how are we supposed to use all the endowments, responsibilities, skills, abilities, and talents, resources that God gave us? How can we be faithful and responsible stewards? I have five points. My first point, God gives us our ability from verses 14 and 15. It reads, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Again, to be in context, the word for here in this verse refers to what was said previously from verse 13. Verse 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, the day and the hour pertaining to the second coming of Christ. The man who gets on the journey, who goes on to the journey, represents Christ, and the servants represent professing believers given different levels of responsibility. The man going on a journey entrusts his property to three of his servants or slaves who are understood to be almost partners in his affairs and who may share some of his profits. From this, we can see that the property in verse 14, mentioned in verse 14, mentioned was equated to talents in verse 15. It seems reasonable to assume that the owner of the talents, the man traveling into a far country, was a wealthy man. Jesus, speaking of this parable, was referring to himself as the man going on a journey. His slaves in the ancient world... These are just some observations that we are doing as we go through. Slaves in the ancient world could enjoy considerable, considerable responsibility and authority. 
So in a way, slavery in the first century Bible times is unlike the slavery during the William Wilberforce, William Wilberforce and the kind of slavery that we know nowadays. That is why I think the word servant is usually the euphemistic word that we use. Instead of slave, we use servant. New Testament scholar Artie France said, Servants during the first century often, often rose to positions of great influence and responsibility. Modern English uses the word talent for skills and mental powers God, and God has entrusted to men. Though in New Testament times, the Greek word talenton or talent was a unit of exchange. So the Greek-speaking hearers of the Lord during that time could have understood this word, talent, in monetary terms. Thus, it may be more sensible to compare the talent with modern currency in terms of earning power. If a silver talent were worth 6,000 denarii, then it would take a day laborer 23 years, or in my ESV Bible it says 20 years, uh, to earn as much. In Alberta standards, it is approximately $600,000 in our present day. If the talents given were gold talents, then you have to multiply that with 30. So 30 times more as much as one silver talent is. So in Alberta, this would be $18 million if the bag of gold talents given is one bag that would be equivalent to $18 million. Imagine that huge amount. So, the po but the point here is, God gave generously to each of his servants or his children. And, in, and it is his character to give all the time. But note that what God gives are only good things. James 1.7 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God gives based on our ability Listen to this familiar verse from Genesis. On the sixth day, God made man in his own image, which means man is able, skillful, skillful or talented. Those abilities were built in in every man. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. These verses tell us that God from the very beginning of time commanded man good things to do. That is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the first command that God gave man is not to eat from the tree of good and evil, but rather to do these things that, pertaining, that pertains to God's good creation. And if God can create the world from nothing ex nihilo, and that everything he made is good, would he not also make man able to fulfill what he intended man to do? I think this is a no-brainer. God does equip man with skills, talents, and abilities to live up according to his purpose and calling and responsibilities. This is one of the significant implications of God being sovereign in the life of every believer. Therefore, in this parable, we can deduce that the master knows that his three servants can be good stewards of the talent, responsibility, skills, material wealth, or material wealth given to them. I believe that the means of grace are available for every believer. I hope you do as well. You have to be you just have to be faithful and diligent in them. What are the means of grace? I know most of, again, most of you know this. Means of grace that we know. Prayer, reading the Bible, sharing the gospel, discipleship, fellowship with other believers, worship, and so many other more. But these are the general means of grace that is available for every Christian. If you want a summary, of this means of grace that I'm talking about, God gives us the ability to love Him foremost, above all else, and also to love others. That is, to me, the summary 
of the means of grace. If we are loving God foremost in our lives, we can also love others. The question that is hanging from these two verses is, was there a sign of unfairness on the part of the master giving different talents to these three servants of his? The answer, simple answer, no. Because it, because it was his belongings that he is giving. And God knows how much responsibility a servant can handle. How he knew how much they can handle? Simple answer, again. Because he is filling the blanks, guys. How could he know how much talents, responsibilities, abilities, skills, material wealth that he can entrust to you if you are a follower of God now? How could he know? Because he is sovereign, omniscient, one word, three letters, God. Because he is God. If he can create the world in six days, all these things that scientists cannot explain the vastness of our universe, then he can make man able to be responsible for all those endowments that he is giving to each and every one of his children. That leads us now to our second point. We must act and be responsible for what was given to us. Verses 16 to 18. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. How did the servants act or react to the bag of talents given them? In verses 16 to 17, we can see faithful stewardship. The first two are the faithful servants because they felt the responsibility of their assignment and went to work without delay. They exercised their full potential and ability in accordance with what their master wanted them to do. Of course, the first two servants asked the master what is expected of them or knowledgeably knew what the master wants them to do with his properties. How could these faithful servants or Christians know what to do? If we read further after this parable, starting from verses 31 to 40, we can see, or rather, verses 31 to 46, we can see that a true Christian, represented by the sheep in the story, would give food to the hungry, a drink to the thirsty, was visiting people in hospital, and welcoming those who do not have a place to stay who gave clothes to those who needed clothing and who visited sick and those in prison. The examples given by the Lord here are those that pertain to the basic needs of every person, as you have noticed, food, water, clothing, shelter, and compassion and love. I included that too, compassion and love, basic needs of humanity. And I, I, I believe you agree with me saying that. And I also believe that every Christian can give each of these things to a certain degree whenever given the opportunity. That is what the first two servants did. They used every single talent, skills, abilities, and possession in every opportunity every day of their lives. That 100% return of investment or five talents for five talents, two talents for two talents means these two servants are consistent and diligent. As Christians, they are not only faithful during Sundays, but every single day of their life as servants of the Master. Consistency here does not mean that these two servants are perfect, but what was seen on them was their faithfulness of doing their work, doing the work of their Master. By saying that, we can say that these two servants still sin or slip, but their heart for their Master in demonstration of their devotion and commitment to what was given to them Prove that their justification is genuine. 
justification. There's that word again. And I know that after finishing the first three chapters of Romans, I'm confident that our church already had a group, good grasp of what it means to be justified or simply to be declared righteous by God. To be declared righteous by God. That's the definition of being justified. As Christians, we have additionally the most valuable resource of all, the Word of God. It is the most precious gift that is given to us as believers. If we believe and understand Him and apply His Word as good as few words, we are, we are a blessing to others and the value of what we, what we do multiplies. We are accountable to the Lord for the use of His resources. Listen again to this familiar verse, where, which I am confident that you all know. This is the Great Commission, or what I call the Great Work, that Jesus, before ascending into heaven, gave to all His followers, all Christians, in Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Nowadays, nowadays more than ever, the proclamation of the living and living out of the gospel is so much more being done by Christians around the world. We are seeing a new generation of believers and followers of Christ who are passionate and zealous and not ashamed. You remember the word? Not ashamed of the gospel. Declaring this glorious gospel, the gospel that can only save. It's the only one gospel that can save. It's the only true gospel that can give hope to the world. And there's no other gospel like this. What I am saying here, I'm saying that in the life of a faithful Christian, the gospel is preeminent or foremost. Ponder on those words. The gospel is preeminent and foremost in the life of believers. Whether you're a husband, wife, single person, a student, a politician, a businessman, an employee, the gospel is the one thing that is always part of your day. How do you know that? If you are a Christian, you would know because God endowed you abilities and talents after all. If you want a clue for you to know God's will in your life, pray and read your Bible. By reading, I don't only mean browsing, but meditating on it day and night. Needless to say, in verse 18, the third servant who has given one talent missed the point big time of the talent given him by God. Even though it's not as much as, much as the first two, he cannot use that as a reasoning to justify and, de- and defend his inactivity. He cannot reason like the workers in the vineyard who started earlier but still received the same pay as those who started later. God has all the rights to do what he wanted to do with his possession. Refer to Matthew chapter 20, verse 15. God has all the right to dispose all his properties according to his intent and purpose. The point is this guy, the third guy, third servant, is ungrateful and selfish to his master. He dug on the ground and hid his master's money. He failed to recognize his master's intention and substituted security for service. To that end, his action was entirely appropriate. Money can only be guarded by placing it in the earth. It makes us wonder, though, what this guy did for that long period of time when the master was away? Did he ever work or have a job? 
to earn a living, most probably. But unlike the other two servants, this guy worked not for the glory of God. That is a big difference, and that matters a lot to God. This guy did not serve the master with what had been given to him, thus not giving glory to his master. This guy never cared to share the salvation that the master is giving to all men and women. This guy is ashamed of the gospel at home, at work, school, or even at church. Did you hear that? This third servant is ashamed of the gospel. At home, at work, at school, or even at church. Never wants to speak. Scared, fearful to speak about who Jesus Christ is. Because this Christ that we know, we worship and adore, hang on the tree to save sinners from their sins. First century people think that that kind of salvation that they, that they believe is ridiculous. How can that save people from their sin? But if you are a Christian, this truth has been revealed to you you will understand that the death of Christ purchased our redemption. And if you are willing to suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel, in your family, friends, co-workers, and in whatever context, I believe that is the acid test of being a true believer. I know I'm preaching this to myself because sometimes, and I confess, sometimes I, I choose whom to share the gospel. I choose the easy ones. But God wanted us to speak the gospel all the time, in all places, without fear of judgment from other people or from our family or friends or co-workers. We need to speak the gospel of salvation to them because they need it as much as we do. Because you know what? Third point, there will be accounting or reckoning for both the faithful and slothful. Verses 19 to 28. If we pass through this uh, point, we're good for the sake of time. Just like what we have learned from Romans, God will render or judge each one according to his work. Romans 2.6 The reward for the faithful, there will be a reward that is waiting. In verse 19 it says, after a long time, Hold there for a moment because we might say or interpret this verse as if God put us here in this world, then left us for, for a long period of time without any more blessings or endowments coming from Him during His absence. That would be a bad interpretation of this passage. This belief is the heresy of deism that God was not involved in our daily lives or that He left us without any interactions. All of us believers can attest of God being our Good Shepherd who brings us into green pastures, who leads us into calm waters, who bless us daily. Other proofs that the Lord never leaves us is Him teaching us to pray or to talk to Him every day and depend on Him for our sustenance. Still another is Him promising the Holy Spirit to come to us or indwell in us and give us the power to do the great work or the great commission He gave us. When all is said and done, the time of reckoning will eventually happen. And from the words of our Lord Himself in Matthew 24, 
verse 36, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. So while we are waiting, we ought to serve Him faithfully. The pattern is wholehearted service for a true believer. And to whom, was, to whom much was given, much is also expected. I just want to highlight verses 20 and 22 because I think this is a good spiritual lesson to us in our giving to the Lord because most often than not, we are not giving our best in terms of service to the Lord and much less our tithes and offering. Or shall I say offering because tithes is an Old Testament uh, command. Our love offering, rather. We always have our little excuses in in, uh, in our service to the Lord or in our giving to the Lord. Uh, the Israelites, for example, God asked them a minimum of 10% uh, for their tithes to the temple. But now, in the New Testament, we are commanded to give cheerfully and not begrudgingly. By the way, the two, ter- the two servants voluntarily gave back to their master 200% of what they received initially. Our goal ought to be how much can we give to the Lord rather than seeing how little we can get away with. That should be our goal. And that's from our pastor. I just quote what he said. Our goal, I'll repeat that again. Our goal ought to be how much can we give to the Lord rather than seeing how little we can get away with. To the first two servants, being good and faithful is natural. Why I say that? Because those who are truly justified based on Ephesians 2.10 will do the work of their master. The first two servants were judged favorably. We can see what their, what their master told them because of their faithfulness in verses 21 and 23. The Lord gave three commendations to, the, to this uh, two servants. First is the verbal commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. Second is the work commendation, I will set you over much. Um, meaning that the master is basically saying here, because you have been working so hard on earth that I will give you more work in heaven. That means that we will not be just singing kumbaya in the new heaven and earth, but rather there will be more glorious activities there, more fun activities, since that will be the time that Christ is ruling with His people. Don't tell me that it will be boring being with the Lord. Definitely not boring. Amen? There are, I think, uh, five people who said, Amen. (laughs) Yeah, so... It will not be boring in heaven. God promised that. Um, The third commendation is sharing the master's happiness. I don't know about you, but for me, when the time comes, I will just say, wow, this is what they say heaven is. Glory to God for what he has in store for the faithful sons of men. For you and me. Notice also the reward of the first two servants are the same that they will be ruler over many things, or in other words, the dominion of man that was lost in the Garden of Eden will be regained by the faithful servants. Is that not amazing? What, we, what Adam and Eve lost, what we lost in the Garden of Eden will be regained again. A new heaven and new earth, and we will have dominion over all creation again. Christian, this is your destiny in Christ. This is your destiny. This is your fate in Christ. So continue to be faithful to Him while waiting for His second coming. And as we move to uh, 2021, I hope that our church will be more faithful in doing His work, being faithful witnesses and ambassadors, 
uh, of Christ, of His gospel, and, and that we will not be ashamed of Him in whatever context or conversation that we're having. But the sad part of the story, for the wicked and slothful, tragedy awaits. For the wicked and slothful, tragedy awaits. Verses 24 to 28. Would we be like this servant who accuses the master of being hard, harsh, and unfair? Would we be justifying ourselves to be afraid of God? That is why you and I did not do anything from what God has given us. The word afraid here does not represent the kind of reverential fear or deep respect kind of fear that a true believer has. The kind of fear that the third servant felt is of punishment. Those words, wicked and slothful, are synonymous in the Greek lexicon. They could both mean idle and lazy. I think as Christians, when we are idle, we are not doing what God commanded us to do. What is happening here? MacArthur said, the third servant's characterization of the master maligns the man as a cruel and ruthless opportunist, reaping and gathering what, we ha- what he had not, reaping and gathering what he had no right to claim as his own. This slothful servant does not represent a genuine believer, for it is obvious that this man had no true knowledge of the master. This servant accusation of his master is not true. Verse 26, in repeating the third servant's charge against him, the master was not acknowledging that it was true. He was allowing the man's own words to condemn him. If the servant really believed that the master really believed the master to be the kind of man he portrayed, that was all the more reason for him not to be slothful. His accusation against the master, even if it had been true, did not justify his own laziness. His failure betrays his lack of love for his master, which he masked by blaming his master and excusing himself. You know what the servant did? He did the exact opposite of what he was asked. You may be asking now, what could have been the right response of the third servant? Or is there a solution to this tragedy? I'm glad you asked. Yes, there is. What I'm trying to say is that during the supposed absence of the master, I'm very sure that this servant received ample warnings from other believers or Christians regarding his unproductiveness to the kingdom of God. I am sure that he was rebuked, corrected, and encouraged by the other servants in the parable. But you may say, what if this servant did not associate himself to the other two servants? Again, I am glad you asked. Then I say that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He always have a way of reminding and warning every man to repent of his evil ways and come back to him, for he is a loving and forgiving father. And Ephesians 1, 6, or Philippians 1, 6 rather, says that if you have been justified, if you have been chosen by God, the work that He started in you, He will complete it. That's the promise. And then again, if God promises, He fulfills, he fulfills it. That long period that was mentioned there in our text was God's patience towards men. Him not wanting anyone to perish, but will come into repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 The lesson is, do not wait until the end because it does not guarantee a true repentance for a person who has hardened heart for such a long time. Though some people say that they can be like the thief on the cross who repented last minute. Though some people, but that is a 50-50 chance. How sure are you? How sure are you? that you will not be the other thief on the cross? What can be great, greater encouragement to you who are still thinking or contemplating of surrendering to the plans of the Lord than to do it now while you still have the time and strength? Why wait 
until it is almost impossible for you to show your true love and affection to the master. Why wait? I can't see any good reason to wait. In Isaiah 55, verse 6 to 7, says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The destiny of this one servant is so sad and tragic that up to the very end, instead of him repenting of his unfaithfulness and slothfulness, he maligns his master. Imagine that. Up to the very end. Because his heart is so hard already that he cannot see what is good. He may know by his by heart, he may know by heart, this verse from Ephesians 2.8, for it's by grace you have been saved, it's a gift of God, not, and this is not from yourself, but as much as this truth is especially important to know and believe, you must keep reading at least up to verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is saying, true servants of the Lord will walk with him and do good works for his glory. As a church, I encourage each, and each one of us to know the difference between true repentance and remorse. I believe that the greater things are yet to come if the Church of Jesus Christ, our Savior and God, would not only know biblical repentance, but actually put it into action. This is what John meant in bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. Remember, Christian, that the repentance that happened at the time of justification is a one-time thing, but the repentance that happened during our sanctification is a lifetime one. Both are very important. Which will now bring us to the fourth point. There will be reward for the slothful, for the faithful, I mean. For to everyone, verses, verse 29a, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. The recipients of divine graces inherit immeasurable blessing in addition to eternal life and the favor of God. Can we bank everything we have on this? Sure we can, 100%, because God cannot lie. Everything he promised and said in the Holy Scriptures will be fulfilled. Christian, a new heaven and new earth is waiting for you. I hope you are encouraged with that. And lastly, there will be agony or remorse for the wicked and lazy. Verses 29b to 30. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All these references to weeping and gnashing of teeth have one thing in common, the undeniable fact that those who do not belong to Christ will suffer a terrible fate, while his children will enjoy bliss in heaven with him forever. Hell will be a place of anguish, remorse, pain, and misery. Heaven will be a place where God eventually will wipe every tear from their eyes, from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The misery that, cause, that causes the gnashing of teeth will be unknown in heaven, and there will be no weeping, no wailing, and no tears. The reason that the lazy and wicked servant was thrown into hell is not because he did not do anything. It was because his claim to be a servant of God is not true, since his action does not prove itself. This third servant did not live by faith. Romans 2.17. I hope you still remember our 
memory verse from, from our series. The righteous shall live by faith. And I pray that as, as a church, we'll continue on to trust the Lord and live by faith as we move forward to 2021. And to close this opportunity that was given to me, I usually ask this question, so what? Um, so what if I know these things? The reason is you need to apply immediately what you learn. Otherwise, the devil will snatch it away from you. I'm sure lots of us here are doing this already. And so I continue to encourage you to continue doing good works until the end. Persevere because reward is awaiting you. And the reward that awaits you is worth everything that you can think or imagine. My friends, eternity is so long for you to ignore and not to be serious about. We're all going to be judged. And, pr- and I pray that we, if you are a non-believer listening now or someone who is not serious about your faith or even someone who does not care ab- at all, believing that these things about the Bible are just like all other books in the world, telling stories of some sort, I'm gently and lovingly exhorting you, warning you of the impending judgment of God. Simply not believing in something or someone does not invalidate truth. Finally, do remember, brothers and sisters, grace never condones irresponsibility. Even those given less are obligated to use and develop what they have. Christian, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Time is ticking. And produce fruits in keeping with your repentance. I exhort you to make your calling and election sure, for we cannot afford to face God on Judgment Day. Him saying, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you bless us so much in this life. Thank you that you are always faithful to us, your children, and that by your grace that we, cannot, that we can act accordingly to what you have given us for your kingdom purposes, for your greater glory, and for your renown. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.